It's Wednesday, April 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor and Supernova, Joe Tenabruso. Happy Wednesday, guys. Earnings Palooza continues. Earnings Palooza rolls on. We will get to some earnings uh, shortly, as as well as some, some exciting news from the restaurant industry. Uh, but we're going to start... Uh, and I, it's rare that we start on the macro level, but we're going to start with the Federal Reserve because notes from the most recent meeting of the Federal Reserve were set to be released today at 2 p.m. And they were actually released early because it turns out that someone had sent them to staffers on Capitol Hill <laughs> and some trade groups. And it's like, oh, okay, so some people have them. Well, we'll, we'll just go ahead and get them out there. Um, but the headline really of the of the notes from the meeting, Jason, was this back and forth among the members on the on the board at the Federal Reserve to end the quantitative easing program early. And you had some people in the room who were saying, not only do we need to end this early, we need to start winding this down in just a few months. Sounds like it could be a great book, right? Like, you know, a decade from now, notes from the Fed, and it would be all of this just sort of what's been going on over the past five, six, seven years. But yeah, I mean, I, we, we were talking about this earlier before taping, and this is scary because it's not something that you can just stop, right? I mean, there's got to be some strategy involved in, in exit plan, so to speak. And, and I think up until this point, everybody has felt like this was just going to go on, you know, in perpetuity because free money forever, free money forever. And frankly, I mean, they're doing it to stoke the economy, which is yet to be really stoked. And I think that today, uh, we saw some earnings releases from companies like Fastenal and MSC Industrial, which are are good industrial indicators, along with Alcoa earlier in the week, that just things aren't really moving. I mean, we're not seeing any real organic revenue growth. I mean, they're they're whittling away their cost structure to bring it down to the bottom line, but the economy's just still kind of plodding along. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how they how they really approach this. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a big point of interest, I think, for for a a number of months. And Joe, I should point out, this meeting took place before Friday when the jobs numbers for March uh, came out. And, um, you know, the people who are saying, hey, we need to wind this down, part of their argument was dependent on the strength of the economy. Um, what did you think when you saw this? Because when I, when I look at this, and, and we've talked in this room before about the whole notion of free money forever, Part of the case that that some of these companies are making when they are talking about borrowing money and making acquisitions is, hey, look, look at how low interest rates are. And if all of a sudden that faucet gets turned off, there's got to be a ripple effect, isn't there? Certainly. There, there's a lot of industries that are going to be impacted when that happens. You know, um, home builders come to mind. They've benefited to a great extent from lower mortgage rates. And so, you know, when, when rates start to rise and suddenly those those new homes aren't as cheap as they are now you know and sales sales could really take a hit from there uh that, that's really just one industry that could be impacted is anyone benefiting from this though on the flip side is there is there any business or industry that has sort of watched this qe program unfold over the last few years and just and their reaction is hey look turn off the money supply because i i i don't i don't know the answer to that but my hunch is that for companies that are very financially secure, they see this as a program that is probably, to some extent, propping up their competition. I think to a degree, yeah. I think when you look at the, uh, the the really strong companies out there, and let's look at the obvious ones, 
because they're great examples, and Apple, Google, and Amazon uh, all have recently taken out debt due to the low rates because, hey, look, why not? It's free money when a lot of these companies are holding a lot of cash overseas too, right? Right. So it costs them a lot of money to bring that money back over here. They'd have to repatriate it essentially. So instead, they're borrowing money at these just historically low rates. And uh, so for them, I think all it does is really make them stronger because when the cost of business goes up, and that's essentially what's going to happen when the Fed turns the spigot off is the, cough, the cost of business will go up. Uh, then the weaker companies, the companies with weaker balance sheets, with less formidable competitive positions are going to feel the pinch first. And so I think that's why yeah, – that's that's really – when we look at it, the, the services like Stock Advisor uh, and Motley Fool One even to a degree – uh, we're, we're really looking at those companies that have those established competitive positions and rock solid financials because they're the ones that through thick and thin are really going to be able to stand the test of time. Yeah. And I think when the stimulus starts to be reduced, I think it's a better time for stock pickers, really, you know, fundamental analysis, because the companies that are fundamentally strong with their balance sheets and, you know, their competitive advantages, that'll that'll shine more in an environment where, you know, their competitors, like you said, their their weaker competitors aren't being propped up by that stimulus. Right. So that rising tide that's been lifting all boats, it's lifted all boats. And that's great. I think everybody's really felt pretty good about the way the market's been going. But to, to use that word that we like so much, it's it seems to be a bit frothy. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a lot to be said for that Buffett quote that you really don't uh, know much about what's going on until the tide goes out because that one, that, that that's what shows you when when right. he's been swimming naked, and uh, and I think that when the tide goes out, that's that's essentially when they start reeling in this quantitative easing, that tide's gonna start going out. We're gonna see some naked naked people out there, I bet. <laughs> Um, uh, one more industry I want to ask about, and that's the banks. Uh, and, and this, again, this is one of those things where I think I didn't read the book, uh, Too Big to Fail, but, uh, the HBO movie, which was wonderful, uh, I've watched that a bunch of times. And there's that moment, uh, when all of the heads of these various Wall Street investment banks are in the room together, um, you know, with Paulson and, uh, uh Tim Geithner, and a couple of them are saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't, we, <laughs> We're fine. We don't need to be bailed out. Why, why should we buy into this program? We're fine. Um, when it comes to Wall Street banks, um, does the end of QE make them more attractive as an investment, less attractive, or is this sort of a net neutral? Well, one area I think it will hurt certain banks is, are the ones that depend on refinancing, at least to a large extent, because as rates rise, you know, refinancing is going to dry up to a large extent. Yeah. So uh, I think we could see a lot of banks you know, lose that income pretty rapidly. Yeah, I do think it'll make some of the really uh, the the reputable investment banks out there probably look a little bit more attractive. And I'm talking about something like a Goldman Sachs. I mean, there's always going to be someone smarter in the room there. Right. And they know a lot more about what's going on in, in that sort of black box of a business than we ever will. Uh, but like Goldman, I think, recently was just uh, – they're getting into the uh, – they're going to be providing some more startup capital for some higher risk uh, businesses that don't even really have any credit records, so to speak. And and really, there are only so many investment banks out there with the reputation and the resources to do that, like a Goldman Sachs, perhaps a J.P. Morgan. And so for all of their shortcomings and in, in not really knowing uh, <laughs> what necessarily is going on behind the curtain, uh, I do think it strengthens their position. It could certainly make them look a little bit more attractive, but they are trading at pretty cheap, uh, you know, cheap multiples today. So I, I don't expect that to last very long. Shares of CarMax hit an all-time high this morning after fourth quarter profits rose 13%. Uh, seems pretty straightforward, uh, Jason. Higher sales of 
used in wholesale vehicles, it, it seems like a pretty good quarter for them. Yeah, and I think that really, given the current economic climate and what seems to be coming down the pipe, this all really plays perfectly into CarMax's uh, position here. I mean, I, th- I think this is just right up their alley. Uh, they focus really on those one- to six-year-old cars. I mean, it's essentially just a used car mart, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're not selling, like, the, the 10- and 15-year-old cars. But when you look at the the fact of the matter is, say, like, a, a new car in the United States averages about $31,000. So that's a poke. I mean, that's a lot of money. And you can see that it's putting people behind the eight ball because they're stretching these terms out now for, you know, eight, nine-year loans right. for a car loan, which I think is just absurd because that's essentially something that loses so much value right after you drive it off the lot. And so I think that it makes something like a CarMax look much more attractive uh, for consumers, certainly, because of the number of options out there. And I think that even from the perspective of people who are trying to sell their cars, they probably – provide a pretty valuable service there as well. And so then when you look on the other side of that coin with your Fords and GMs that are still really having to provide a lot of incentives for uh, consumers to get out there and buy those cars, even in such a low interest rate environment as today, if we see rates go up, oh my God, those are headwinds that I think really Ford and GM will be feeling the pinch there, but CarMax should should uh, be, be experiencing some tailwinds. From that, I think. Well, that's one of the things I was wondering about because I've never really looked at CarMax as an investment. And I'm, when I see these results, I look at them and I think, well, who are who are they really competing with? Are they competing with the likes of AutoNation or are they competing with automakers like Ford and GM? Well, I think to a large extent they're competing with kind of your everyday used car dealerships. And, you know, to me, CarMax just offers a better used car, you know, buying experience. There's no haggling. Your customers get a fair price. And, and the Have data you used kinda, it before? No, I, I haven't used it myself. I, I haven't used it, but I'm, I'm now. I suddenly find myself in the market for a used car after uh, one of my cars died. So, well, yeah. I would say, like, we were trying to sell a car when we were moving up here, and I was initially going to try Copart, which was really a bad experience. It was going to cost a lot of money just to get the car listed. And in hindsight, really, I should have just used uh, CarMax to do that. And I mean, it's worth saying too that the more attractive used cars become. Well, the more demand for those used cars, obviously, is going to push the, push the prices for those used cars sure. up. So it'll certainly depend on on the supply that that's out there. But I think, regardless, it does offer an experience that's going to be uh, more attractive for most consumers. Yeah, and we're seeing that show up in the market share gains. You know, I think they just reported three uh, percent growth in the late car used model uh, market. So you know, customers are shopping more and more at CarMax and. I, I think today it's still an interesting investment opportunity. Is this one of those industries, kind of like the pizza industry? If you look at a, a pie chart of the, of the market share, um, the most dominant market share in America in the pizza market is just mom and pop local establishments. You know, Domino's has their share, uh, Papa John's has their, all, you know, all that sort of thing. But the the most dominant is sort of the local. Is that how the used car industry is as well? Where yeah, CarMax has their piece of the pie, but really the the dominant uh, group is just local used car dealers. Well, as a whole, that's that's still true. Yeah. Um, so CarMax is is a leader in a used car market, but it still has such a tremendous opportunity to grow share, and that oftentimes can be a great investment opportunity because you you can invest in the leader and have all the competitive advantages that go along with that, the scale advantages. And yet have a multi-year, you know, growth story ahead. So, uh, and I think that's what we have in CarMax so, today. So you like the stock even though it's now at an all-time high? I do. Uh, you know, I, I don't get kind of scared away from all-time highs. I mean, obviously I like to buy at the lows, but one thing I've learned is that some of the best performers, you know, the one thing they have in common is that they continue to set new all-time highs. And so, you know, the fact that it's been performing well, I take that as a sign that, 
you know, winners tend to keep on winning. Yeah, I remember adding to my Amazon shares last year or maybe two years ago, somewhere around like 160. And I had a few people kind of questioning that. Wow, man, it's like these all-time highs. Why are you adding to the shares? I'd be like, well, look, man, I mean, this that's the thing. These winners just tend to keep on winning. I think that's really – that's something that obviously David Gardner has just really gone to town with uh, in Stock Advisor Supernova. And, and I think it's it's a lesson worth – worth remembering it doesn't always work but i think i think it works a, a lot more often than people give it credit for it doesn't always work but i think it's also worth pointing out that you can make a mistake as an investor and i have certainly made this mistake before um, if you get hung up on a certain price target and you you look at a stock and you think okay it's it's dropping i just want it to drop two more dollars and then i'm going to buy <laughs> And I've certainly made that mistake of watching a stock say, okay, I, it just needs to drop another couple of bucks and then I'm going to buy. And then it goes back up and just keeps going. And, you know, the balloon has sailed away at that moment. Uh, if you have ever been to a Hooters, then you may be familiar with the term restaurant. And yes, this is actually an industry term, um, which applies to any restaurant where scantily clad waitresses serve you food and drinks. Now, that term is off limits to Hooters and Tilted Kilt and any other establishment because it has been trademarked by the owners of Bikinis Sports Bar and Grill, which I had never heard of until I saw this story this morning. They have about 14 locations. Are they in the southeast? Are they in like Florida or something like that? Chris, Chris, uh, I'm not sure. All, all I know is I think right now you're trying to get me divorced. Oh, no. That's what I think is happening. And beyond that, I, I read, I clicked on the link that you sent me about this story. And the first thing that popped up was like an advertisement for lingerie. So then I thought to myself, all right, Chris is trying to get me fired, too. Not- so he's trying to get me divorced and fired in the same hour, I think. I would love to, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't think I've really ever even heard the term restaurant until today. It just never really struck me. I've been to a Hooters before. There's years ago. I didn't really consider it to be all that great of an experience, to be honest with you. Uh, it was out in Texas, though, Max, so who knows? Um, I think it would take me walking into my house. I've got, I've got a wife and two daughters. I, I say restaurant once, and I think I'm probably sleeping on the couch, and that's the last time that word's get, getting used in my house. <laughs> you know, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, in all seriousness, it doesn't surprise me that we're not talking about public companies here, because this, as we were talking about before the taping, I, I feel like if you're going to go to a bar or a restaurant, there is there is. It always boils down for me anyway. It always boils down to one reason to go, and in the case of like a Buffalo Wild Wings, it's like. Oh, they've got they've got wings that I like. They also have a million TVs on the wall. You know, there are local places here in Old Town that I'll go. It's like, oh, that's that's a comfortable place to go, or that's actually a great sports bar. I know I can get a seat at the bar and watch a game and that kind of thing. And while I like food and I like alcohol, and I'm certainly not averse to uh, beautiful women, um, <laughs> somehow this combination has never worked for me. I've, I've, like, I've never been interested in any of these places. And I feel like if your Buffalo Wild Wings or frankly any other sort of restaurant, uh, you know, like a TGI Fridays or something like that, like this is, like you're, I, I can't imagine that they are concerned about losing customers to these places. I would think not at all. Yeah, I, I don't think they're too concerned about it. Cause, you know, now that I have children, as Jason does too, um, I kind of appreciate the, the opportunity to go to a place that I can't take my family, you know, and I think that's one of actually Buffalo Wild Wings competitive advantages because a lot of bar and grills kind of situations, you can't do that, you know, and so these, you know, Panera is another great, you know, uh, business that kind of fits that mold where you feel good taking your family there, you know, you're buying some quality food, 
good ingredients, healthier in nature, good atmosphere. So well, that's the thing. Like, like for in in most cases, it's like, well, the food's got to be good. If the right. food's not good, then why am I there? I kind of like to apply that old Buffett saw of don't do anything that you wouldn't want reported in the newspaper the next day. So, like, if you were involved in some sort of a skirmish or something, would you rather have it happen at a Buffalo Wild Wings, okay, and that's reported on the front page of the paper the next day, or do you want them reporting that, oh, Matt Greer was reported at Bikinis last night and in a skirmish. Now, <laughs> do you want that on the front page, Matt? Don't, don't, no. don't drag Mac into well, this. Well, he's well, the man behind the glass. Mac, Mac is a troublemaker. Yeah, Mac is not a Mac, please, Mac. Mac is not a trouble. Please. Come on. Come on. Here's, here's what I want to know, by the way, because uh, we're based in Alexandria, Virginia, and a block from our office is the U.S. Patent and Trade Office. Yeah. This was just given the official stamp of approval from the PTO. I kind of feel like, as from time to time we talk about we need to do a road trip to go to a restaurant to try food, to you know, that kind of thing, I kind of feel like we need to walk down the block and knock on the front door of the PTO and be like, hi, uh, who was the person who greenlit this move? Who was the one who said yes uh, to Bikini Sports Bar and Grill? We're going to give you the trademark restaurant. Let's find the one who signed that bottom line. Who, who would have thought the PTO was where the action is? Uh, I, I think this is like one of the rare exceptions <laughs> where the action is at the PTO. Joe Tenebruso, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. What's the worst term? Restaurant or screwgold? Ooh, and that's a good one. We could probably put a poll up for that. Uh, 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 a poll, huh? Hey, now. I think I'm going to have to go with screwgold, though. I will say I mean, this. The, the advertising that Microsoft is attempting to pull off with the whole screwgold campaign is not nearly as polished as the the advertising that is done for Hooters, Tilted Kilt, etc. Very good point. And like I said, I mean, I really do. I, I applaud them getting the patent on that term there. I don't applaud those those using the Scroogled marketing campaign. I think it just sucks. I, we, well, we were talking about this. I, I said, look, if if you want, like, you can you can make that point by touting Outlook. Like you can, you can basically be like, "Hey, Outlook, you know, you know, incredibly secure. We're never going to, without mentioning Google. Yeah. It's like the old, you know, political line of like, never mention your candidate by name. It's dangerous. To do it's that. just like yeah. j- without mentioning Google, you can just be like, "Hey, we're never going to search your email. We're, g- yeah. you know, you're going to be. It's much more private. That kind of thing." Well, it's like those dummies saying, hey, you'll get this movie four weeks before you get it on Netflix. Well, thanks for the free advertising. Yeah. You don't even need to bring Netflix into the equation, right? You just say, we get this movie before anybody else. Yeah. I, I think right? they were. So, yeah. Yeah, tout your product. Don't measure it up against something else. And, and let's be honest, man. You're trying to dog Google. I mean, that's like one of the most productive and useful tools in the world. And one of the, uh, one of the I, I, I've seen two of these commercials. One of them looked like a second-rate political, like, <laughs> attack ad. And the other one looked like something college students put together, yeah. like on a set that is not nearly as nice as this one. Like, it was just like this cheesy couple in a kitchen where they're, you know, and he he gets faulty. 
like he he's cooking her dinner, and it turns out that the dinner catches on fire because he bought a frying pan. I saw promote, that. Like, one. I saw. I was like, yeah. "Are you kidding?" I like, saw it, that one. Like, don't get screwed. Yeah. At one point, I thought, "Is this?" The onion. Like, well, is when this he an onion Max app? sent me that link, I feel like I got screwed out of a minute and 21 <laughs> seconds of my life. 